Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from a venue that uh, I have found very exciting because of the really great people who are here. We're at the National Tribal Health Conference in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And if you're a regular listener, no doubt you've heard some other programs from this venue. We've got some other great folks who will be joining us on this program. Our first individual who's going to be talking with us is Ashton Gatewood. Ashton, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. Now, I've had folks here interviewing with me in this venue who've traveled from all around the country. You have also traveled to be here, but not from all that far away. No, we're just down the street from here. Okay, so you're with the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. Tell us a little bit about that uh, entire kind of operation there. Okay, of course. So the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic is a urban Indian clinic through the Indian Health Services. We were incorporated in 1974, and we've served the greater Oklahoma City area Indian community since then. We currently have over 220 different federally recognized tribes that we serve with a staff of over 200. Wow. We're a fully comprehensive community health facility, and we're accredited as a, a medical home. So what that means is we offer all of our services in-house that you would see at a small hospital. That includes pharmacy, primary care, specialty clinics, physical therapy. We really look to be as comprehensive as possible. That is tremendous. So basically, someone can come to the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. They can see their primary care provider. They can get specialty services as well. Yes. Pharmacies there. Physical therapy too. Yes, even physical therapy is in-house. We have a wellness center as well. So if you have a diagnosis like diabetes, Mm -hmm. which is very prevalent in the American Indian population, if you have a diabetes diagnosis, you can do your labs, pick up your medications. If your um, primary care provider has also recommended that you work on your diet, exercise, make some lifestyle changes, we have a wellness center on-site with trainers that can help you set a fitness plan. Mm -hmm. We have on-site dietitians that can help you through our cooking classes, one-on-one consultations, or our um, fitness and lifestyle programs. And so it helps you to make those lifestyle changes that are fundamental to reversing the effects of your chronic condition, like with diabetes. This is tremendous. Now, I have to make a confession because I lived in Oklahoma for over a decade. I was in the the Ardmore area, and although I've heard of the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic, I've actually never visited. Well, you should come visit. I probably should, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this as a formal invitation. Yes, of course. So this sounds like, I mean, people think clinic... They often think of a little building. This can't be just a small clinic. No, it is not a small clinic. We did start as a small clinic. Um, Originally, we were located downtown near where the um, bombing memorial is currently. Mm. We were a small storefront, only about 300, 400 square foot. Now, um, today, actually, we had our pharmacy grand opening. Our pharmacy alone is over 8,000 square feet. So we are in two 
separate buildings, and we will be moving into our third building summer of 2019. Wow. So you guys have really grown over the past, you said since 1974? We were incorporated in 1974, and... Since then, we have moved over to 4913 West Reno, which is out by the outlet mall for people who live around here. It's a very convenient location to American Indians living in the greater Oklahoma City area because it's really close to the intersection of our two major highways. It's also close enough to the inner city community that we have public transportation uh, that provides uh, service out to the clinic. So Mm. uh, we have... um, taxi services and bus services Mm -hmm. and we've um, worked with those services here in the city so we have taxi tokens bus passes so we can help fund transportation if that's what patients are needing help with to be able to make it to their appointments so someone really who's concerned about wow i don't even have the cab fare if they've got a doctor's appointment you'll basically cover those costs yes This is tremendous. Now, one of the big questions, of course, you know, when people hear about these comprehensive services is, you know, this is all wonderful, but is it really making a difference? Are there ways that you've been able to assess whether you're making an impact, uh, say, with diabetes or with other conditions? Yes, we are very quality-minded in everything that we do. We want to provide the highest level of quality services to all of our patients. Mm -hmm. So we use several different ways to do that. We are active implementers of the Model 4 improvement, which involves um, PDSA cycles. Basically, what that means is our staff are all required to do a PDSA project during the year. That includes looking at something in our process or something in how we deliver care to our patients, Mm -hmm. how we can make it better, and then working as a team to improve that process. Every year we have a PDSA fair, and each department showcases the best PDSA that they put together for that year, Mm -hmm. and our chief quality officer awards prizes for the best Mm -hmm. overall presentations. In addition to that um, internal metric that we use, we have an external metric called our GIPRA measures. GIPRA stands for the Government Performance and Results Act, which is how the federal government, how IHS tracks that we have used those federal dollars to provide the services that we said we would provide. Mm -hmm. So what GIPRA measures include are the rates of our screenings, so our breast cancer screenings, Uh our cervical cancer screenings, as well as our diabetes prevalence and our um, immunization rates. Okay. So basically, you're looking at data, and those numbers are encouraging you, and and where they may be not encouraging you, make changes to try to better address those needs. Yes. So, um, for example, if it looks like our childhood immunization rates aren't at on track to be at our targeted goal. Mm-hmm. Then we do extra health fairs. We may go mm-hmm. and do home visits. So sometimes our pediatrician and one of our public health nurses will go out to the home. They'll do the well child check, give the immunizations, and um, really reach out to those patients that maybe otherwise would be unable to have those services. Now, one of the things I found especially interesting as I went over to your booth, because you have a a booth presence here at the National Tribal Health Conference, is I saw these uh, T-shirts, Native Vote, Get Out the Vote, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't make a connection between that organization and the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. And you were sharing with me, you have a very comprehensive vision at that clinic. Uh, Tell us about that. So as 
a community health clinic in the American Indian community. We want to be the medical home. We're accredited as a medical home. And so we provide some of those wraparound services to um, help our patients on that very bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy, addressing things like um, housing, transportation. And the Native Vote is part of that process where we have invited outside members of the community in so that our patients have increased access by being able to access those additional services somewhere where they're already coming for mm-hmm. their medical needs. So the Native Vote is really important because through our history as American Indian people, we have suffered from um, inequities that have been driven by policy and that have created social injustices that are a large part of what have gotten us to the poor health outcomes that we're seeing today. Mm. So we know that Native people um, vote and are registered to vote at a lower rate than other groups in the population. Only one in three um, Native people are actually registered to vote, and even less than that may actually vote because of transportation Mm -hmm. or other issues um, with access. So we want to partner with the Native vote and other community members like that to give our people a voice. Very good. So what other partners, if I were to to stop in, take you up on that opportunity to visit the clinic, I might see some folks from Native Vote. What other things might I see in the clinic that would be surprising that I wouldn't expect to find in another venue? Well, we, like I mentioned earlier, we're very comprehensive. So we're also trying to increase social service access. Okay. So um, OILS, Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, is another group that uh, will come on site. They do... Um, living wills, uh, estate planning. They help with adoptions. Uh-huh. Any um, non, non-criminal non legal services are accessible through them, and mm. they will come on site. We also have different health fairs throughout the year when we invite members based on what the theme is for that health fair. So mm-hmm. at our women's health fair, you might see um, Stevenson Cancer Center might come in and do um, lymphadenopathy screenings hmm. for people who have diagnosis that would cause that condition. Okay. You might see um, the baby mobile from Infant Crisis Services huh. that provides diapers, formula, um, and also gives women an opportunity to feel like they are a vital, very important part of the community and that uh-huh. we're there to support them in raising their children. So services like this that otherwise they would have to go to multiple locations to get, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't really see these that maybe a, a private care clinic. Right. We invite them in so that it increases the access for our patients. Well, this is tremendous. So you're seeing the power of synergism as you work yes. with other community organizations, as you bring a variety of medical services under the same roof. I know one of the things that sometimes motivates clinicians as well as people in leadership, and you are the director of public health for the clinic, right, mm-hmm. um, is actually seeing what you're doing making a difference. Can you tell us some stories, things that have encouraged you or maybe encouraged other members of your team that say, boy, you know, we're really glad to be here and, and we're, we're really giving back? Yes, of course. Um, there's there's so many stories. Uh, when I round with my staff who lead a lot of our programs, that's one of my favorite things is hearing about our success stories. Mm-hmm. Through the um, wellness program, we have a couple of dietitians who do chronic care management, obesity mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. prevention. One patient we had come through last year um, was referred through behavioral health 
And we know that physical activity, nutrition can positively impact mental health Mm -hmm. conditions Mm -hmm. such as depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that's why this patient was referred into our services. We started working with them on um, diet, exercise plan. They came into some of our programs. We have Zumba. We have yoga, um, one-on-one fitness trainer consultations. Mm -hmm. Then that patient made friends, and then Mm. they felt like they're part of a community. So then they came more often and did more programs. Mm -hmm. Then they started losing weight, and they got a little bit more confidence. Wow. And now they have friendships. They feel part of a community. They have some confidence. So then their depression screening their score went down on the depression scale. Uh So we saw that they were starting to um, overcome some of that anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Well, because their anxiety and depression got better, then their um, medical condition with the diabetes and hypertension, that also improved. Uh So we see that these interventions do work and they do make impact on chronic conditions that otherwise people may see as something they just have to live with and that they don't have the ability to overcome. I mean, this is such a great story and such a great example because often in medical circles we talk about these vicious cycles, you know, where one bad thing leads to something else bad and things just kind of spiral downward. But some people uh, talk about a virtuous cycle where, you know, each thing kind of reinforces better habits. And really that's kind of the story you're sharing with us. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that I love about what you're talking about is this whole idea of social connectedness. And there's so much that we're learning about social support and environment and having these uh, really environments where people can be nurtured, you know, if we put it no other way. And you're really doing that in the clinic. Well, thank you. Yes, we do try to do that. Um, We we are also very interested in doing a two-generational intervention. Hmm. So um, that's something that has started to become a buzzword in the public health community is doing those multi-generational interventions. Mm -hmm. We know that the trauma that's affected the health of American Indian people is Mm multi-generational. So Mm -hmm. to fix a problem that is multi-generational, we've tried to come up with solutions that are as well. Um, In October, um, we have our mother-daughter night where we Mm -hmm. invite mothers and daughters to do that very thing. Okay. Now, this is a very fascinating subject, and I'm hoping you can stay by to help us uh, really get a better idea on what this is all about. Do you think that's possible? Yes, of course. Thank you. Okay. We've got to step away just for a short while. Ashton Gatewood, she's the Director of Public Health for the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. She's not going to go away. We want to encourage you to stay by. What can you do where you're at that can make a difference as far as impacting not just one generation, but multiple generations? Some of the strategies that are working right here in the heart of Indian country in Oklahoma City. Don't go away. We'll be back with more from the National Tribal Health Conference here in Oklahoma City. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Ashton Gatewood. Ashton is the Director of Public Health at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. She is joining us here in the venue of the National Tribal Health Conference. Ashton, again, thank you for slipping away from your booth and joining us behind the microphone here. Thank you. One of the things that uh, I think gets our attention throughout Indian country and beyond is when we talk about not just making a difference today, but making a difference in the future. Uh, We know when we look at chronic diseases that unless we impact the younger generations, we're fighting a losing battle, right? Absolutely. You guys are doing some very proactive stuff. You're not just trying to treat patients. You're thinking preventively. Tell us about some of the things you're doing to, to really expand your field of service. So we are very prevention-minded at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. We actually spend um, 50 cents on the dollar of our budget towards prevention. Wow. So we put our money where our mission is, mm-hmm. and that is to provide excellent services to American Indian people, excellent health care services. So some of the things that we do to do that is our um, camps and our after-school programs to help mm-hmm. our, our youth and our young adults. We do um, summer camps, okay. one of which is Turtle Camp. That's probably our biggest summer camp. Okay. So Turtle is an acronym that actually stands for Teaching Urban Roads to Lifestyle and Exercise. And that camp starts at age 6 and goes up to about age 12 or 14. Once the... Um, once our children kind of grow up a little bit through the camp and they become old enough, then we get to do something really exciting and work with them to become mentors and they get to be group leaders and help the younger kids. Wow. So we're really raising them up in these um, knowledge and understanding of how to make healthy lifestyle decisions and how to incorporate exercise into their routine so that these are things they can carry on through their young adult 
time and teach the younger members of their families and then also carry them into adulthood once they leave our programs and go off to school and jobs and have their own families. Excellent. Now, I am a little bit hung up on this acronym. So I like the acronym TURTLE. I mean, of course, that resonates throughout Indian country. But the challenge I'm having, teaching urban roads to lifestyle and exercise, the, that roads word I'm struggling with. It's not talking about exercising on the state highways, is it? No. Um, so teaching urban roads, we are an urban Indian health clinic, uh-huh. and the patients that we see, we, we talk to them often about their journey, their journey through life. And, okay. Um, here in the urban setting, um, you know, we are in the you know concrete jungle mm-hmm. of the city, and so we want to teach them how in their urban environment, on the roads that they're going down in life, how they can incorporate these uh, exercises, these dietary choices, these fitness lifestyle models into their lifelong experience as they um, grow and mature to prevent them from inheriting that generational um, chronic disease like diabetes that mm-hmm. we're so used to as Indian people. Okay, so I get the picture. So the roads is kind of a metaphor mm-hmm. for for path. Yes. Or, okay, okay. I, I kind of sensed that might be where it was at, but I was trying to wrap my mind around it. So exercise, you've made that very clear. What kind of lifestyle things are the 6 to 12-year-olds learning about that help them with chronic disease prevention? So we use um, a lot of evidence-based models in our interventions with our patients, one of which is the 5210 model or the 5210 model. So what this basically involves is your nutritional intake, so five servings of fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. two hours or less of screen time, so Mm -hmm. cell phone, video game, computer use, um, one hour or more of physical activity, mm-hmm. and then zero sugar-sweetened beverages. So that 5210 model, we assess our um, patients with the kids participating in the camps at the beginning of the camp or the beginning of the after-school program session. We have educational lessons from our dietitians. We have fitness activities from our life coaches and our trainers. And then at the end of the session, we do kind of a post-survey with them. And that way we're able to assess whether the interventions that we're doing and the education we're providing is making a difference in their beliefs and behaviors. Now, one of the interesting things I've heard is I've talked with other people who run native camps and native education activities for youth is there's some very interesting dynamics that often come into the family when you train a child on these healthier lifestyle habits. Do you have some stories or some illustrations about that for us? Yes, um, we do actually see a lot of that intergenerational change Mm -hmm. where the um, children are receiving education and then coming home and talking to their parents or their grandparents about what they learned Uh that day. uh We um, actually have a couple of programs that are focused on that. We have family dinner night Hmm. where our um, families are able to come in together. We teach them how to um, cook a nutritious meal. We tell them how to maneuver through a grocery store without falling um, trapped to some of the less healthy choices. And we prepare a meal together, teach them about why we prepare food this way, what this does to nurture our bodies, and how it can prevent disease and illness. And through working with them as families, as a family unit, um, we kind of reinforce what the children are learning at their camps and bridge that gap into their parents' generation as well. 
So basically, while you're running the camp, and help me to see how this turtle camp works. Is this a two-week camp? Is it a, a month? Is it all summer long? How does that work? So turtle camp is a week long. Okay. But during the summer, we have multiple camps going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, one is NYPD camp, which is Native Youth Preventing Diabetes. Okay, I like that. Um, we have culture camp. Uh-huh. And um, there's several other camps like dance camp that are activity focused. Uh-huh. Well, while the camps are going on, we also have the one-on-one consultations available, the cooking classes. So it's to where people can be involved as much or as little as their schedules allow them to be. So if someone doesn't have time to sign up for a full week camp, they can come in for an hour-long education session. Mm-hmm. Or if they understand the education component, but they don't feel comfortable knowing what to actually purchase and how to budget healthy foods into what their family brings home. We even do grocery store trips with them and we'll take them to the grocery store with our dietitians Uh and teach them how to maneuver the grocery store to, to select affordable foods for their budget that they can prepare for their families. And so while the camp is going on, I'm trying to see if I've got this whole integrated model. You also have evenings or a one evening program where you invite the family maybe at the end of the camp is that how it works yes so we have our um, day camps and Mm -hmm. then there's um, the evening sessions and we also have um, the daily one-on-ones so we might send two or three of our staff out to do the camp and then I have two or three that are back at the clinic doing one-on-one consultations Mm -hmm. and then I might have a couple more that are going shopping during the day so that they can prepare the food and teach the lesson for the evening class. So we're very fortunate to have a a board and a administration that supports prevention and education so that we're able to have the staff and have the support we need to be able to run so many programs like this all at once. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you do assessments of how effective your educational interventions are. And I think, you know, if people haven't heard of this uh, 5210 approach, they're saying, well, I mean, the five servings of fruits and vegetables, I mean, we've been hearing about that for a long time. Kids might be able to do that. But, I mean, limiting to two hours of screen time and the no sugar-sweetened beverages, those sound like harder sells. What, 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 is that what you're finding or is that different? Yes, um, we are finding, especially the sugar-sweetened beverages, that is mm-hmm. very difficult. Because I think for a long time, um, we were taught that that as long as it's 100% juice or, as, mm. or you know, Gatorade is fine if you're doing physical activity. But what we're learning as information, more data is coming back, is that the sugar-sweetened beverages are causing a big part of the picture of what we're seeing with obesity mm-hmm. and um, dental caries, which mm-hmm. dental caries are actually um, the leading reason why children miss school. It's one of the primary wow. childhood conditions. Um, and we address that at our turtle camp too. We have uh-huh. um, one of our nurses or our dental staff that are trained in um, topical fluoride application huh. will come out and apply fluoride to their kids' teeth. And mm. um, that's something that parents can give consent to in advance if they want their child to do that uh-huh. at camp as well. So we're not only providing the education about these are sugar-sweetened beverages, what is a sugar-sweetened beverage? And then we, we talk to the kids about the different sizes they come in, different uh-huh. things that count as sugar-sweet beverages. And then we bring someone in to do the fluoride applications to help protect their teeth against those dental caries or cavities. Mm-hmm. And so we're teaching them. We're providing the intervention. And then hopefully they can take those tools back to their families and that knowledge 
so that they can spread that amongst their families and their communities. Well, I'm just very excited about how comprehensive your approach is, and it's got to be exciting for you to be, well, you know, in the driver's seat as the director of public health for the clinic. It's very exciting. Now, you have a background in nursing. Yes. And usually we think of people running public health programs, maybe having a master's in public health or some kind of formal public health training. I think you have an interesting story because there's a lot of people in Indian country with different health backgrounds. And uh, maybe just a, a quick window on your story. How does a nurse end up uh, being on the forefront of public health? Well, I went to Oklahoma City University here in Oklahoma City. So this is my home. This mm -hmm. is my home community that I now serve as public health director. I um, have degrees in the um, area of biology and nursing, and I was really interested in the medical field and studying medicine, but I just felt like at treating disease and illness and treating the symptoms wasn't quite enough for me. I wanted to work on the big picture to address the problem at the very root of its source, so public health lets me do that. That's tremendous. Unfortunately, our time has slipped away, and I asked you a big question, but we're going to give out your contact information. If people want more information, what I've got here in front of me is OKCIC.com. Have I got it right? Yes, that's our clinic website. So, Oklahoma City Indian Clinic, OKCIC.com. We've got to step away. We've got more coming up in the next segment of American Indian Living. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more.
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose back with our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I am so glad that uh, Ashton Gatewood was able to stay by. Ashton, sometimes as a host, I make the mistake of asking a question that's difficult to answer even in a few minutes when the clock is just running down. And I, I sense my own frustration about asking that last question to you. Oh, that's no problem. But I, I really enjoy having folks who have deep roots in Indian country. You're a, a native of the Oklahoma City area, right? Yes, I grew up in Mustang. And um, you have pretty deep native roots in this area, right? Yes, I do back till when I was in school. Okay, so um, Choctaw, Chickasaw background, and you grew up fully immersed in Native culture. Is that safe to say or not so much? I grew up in um, the urban Indian version of Native okay, culture. So okay. I, did not, I did not grow up on my tribal land for either of my tribes. I grew up here in the city. So I went through my JOM program, the Johnson O'Malley program, uh, Mustang, and I would go up home for our ceremonies and our, you know, stomp dance. But, uh, I did, I didn't grow up in the traditional on my tribal land way, but mm-hmm. more of in the urban Indian way. Okay. For those who have heard of Johnson O'Malley, but aren't really familiar with what that's all about, can you give us a little window into that? Sure. The Johnson O'Malley program is a program in the secondary um, education schools. So the school systems receive funding um, from the government per each American Indian uh, student that they have in their school system. And this money is put together and the under the JOM, whoever is the program manager for that school. And it's for the purpose of furthering the education of the American Indian students. So each JOM gets to vote and decide how they spend that funding. At Mustang, we had a really strong JOM, and we were provided uh, money for if we needed tutoring. Mm. We were given school supplies, uh, backpacks, pens, paper, notepads. And we had every semester, we would get together and have a meeting that um, provided us a meal, a time to um, just be in community with the other JOM scholars. And then uh, based on our grades, we might get a little bit of um, financial reward as well. Mm -hmm. Now, you shared with me off air that you had an ambition that uh, many students have, and that is to kind of see the world or you know, expand your horizons, maybe live somewhere else. And yet right now you're in a very responsible position, but it doesn't sound like you're too many miles away from where you grew up. Is that safe to say? Yes, absolutely. So I went to Oklahoma City University after I graduated high school, and I studied cell and molecular biology in Spanish. I studied abroad a couple of times outside of the U.S. with Mm -hmm. my Spanish degree, and I really intended to travel, do global health, Um, in the medical field. But the more I got involved with um, treating disease and the medicine side, I just felt like it was a very narrow approach because people already had disease and we were just prescribing treatment. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do broader impact, bigger picture work. Mm -hmm. And that's what directed me back to 
public health and mm-hmm. seeing that big picture. So I went back to school and got my nursing degree. Okay. And I went back to OCU again and got my nursing degree and became a public health nurse. Uh-huh. My first um, public health nursing job was um, the women's health care navigator. So I was very involved with women's health and early childhood health. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really gratifying about the work that I do is both of my tribes are here after the Indian Relocation Act. Both the Chickasaw and Choctaw Nations were relocated to Oklahoma. So my tribes are here. The community I grew up in is nearby. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that extra level of responsibility for taking care of the people in this area because they're, you know, my community I grew mm-hmm, up with. Mm-hmm. That is tremendous. So I know a lot of folks who tune into the show, they may be elders, they may be grandparents, parents, they may be young people. And basically your story, Ashton, I think is inspiring because, you know, we all grow up with different aspirations and sometimes the best place to be is right where we're at, even though sometimes that picture is not painted that way, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, there's there's some other dimension to this that I think is so important because we were speaking earlier in the show about these intergenerational impacts and ways that we interface with people. We were speaking about social connectedness. Talk to us just a little bit about something that is a challenge in many places in Indian country, and it's that you may be in an area where maybe some of the providers that you're working with most closely don't have roots in that community. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, I, I, I'm actually working in a clinic in Northern California, and my roots are in the Midwest. Um, it doesn't mean you can't serve in some other environment. But what are some of the unique benefits that you have when you actually have deeper roots in the community where you're working? Well, I think that in medicine and healthcare, the first step is building rapport, building trust, mm-hmm. having trust with your patients. And you can't accomplish anything, any type of real change in beliefs or behaviors unless you have the trust of of that patient because they're trusting the guidance you're giving them, the decisions you're asking them to make. And so I think because I'm from here, I grew up here, I live here in the inner city, I go to the pharmacy, I go to the fitness center, I, you know, go to the same restaurants Mm -hmm. that my patients go to. Mm -hmm. So I see their problems with transportation. I see their problems with um, education firsthand because Mm -hmm. I live here too. And so I think I come from the same background that a lot of them do. And so they know that when they're coming to me, um, that I can relate to them and their story. And I think that helps to build that trust bridge um, just right off the bat. No, I mean, that is such a tremendous, a tremendous message. The other aspect to this um, is you shared with me a little bit about your uh, mother's occupation and uh, an elementary teacher, yes. right? And I think, here's the question. You know, one of the things that sometimes happens in medicine today is it seems to be, well, some people would even say it's because it's very data-driven, it almost becomes to some people like a cookbook. You know, you just hear you have this diagnosis, you do this. And I was speaking with someone actually at the booth. It wasn't on air, um, a Native woman who's working with one of the other organizations here. And we were talking about this issue, and, and she said, why do we prescribe so many medications 
when lifestyle could address these issues. And and I was sharing with her what I've heard over the years from, from other providers. You know, some of them will say, well, yeah, we know that diet and exercise can help address diabetes, but, you know, patients don't do it. Yes. And I, and I, I was telling her about a story where actually a lecturer was, was telling a group of physicians, you know, you don't bother telling patients to, to eat right or to exercise because they won't do it. And I ended up asking this guy, well, how much time do you spend trying to help people do that? And I think the danger is that we think just telling someone to do something mm-hmm. is sufficient. Just telling someone, well, go lose weight, you know, come back in three months and lose 15 pounds. But I don't hear that being your philosophy there. If someone needs to lose weight, you're doing things to say, we're here to come alongside you and help you do that. Yes, absolutely. And I think that piece where we're there with them to accomplish that, that's why the life coaches are so important. Um, right now we have some of our wellness trainers, uh, our, our STAR program, which is our pre-diabetes program, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get some of our dietitians all through the life coach life coach training because asking someone to make that change but not providing someone to walk alongside them to show them how they can make that change what they need to do to make that change is almost a disservice it's um it's like providing them a prescription but there's no pharmacy to fill it at so Mm. i think um we we do know we still know that the provider recommendation is the primary reason that someone will get a screening or do a follow-up test. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know provider recommendation, you know, their physician that they see is a big Im- important thing in the behavior change cycle. But we take that extra step to re- provide them someone there to coach them, walk alongside them, show them what their options are, and let them know someone will be there with them along the way. So there's a lot of folks, Ashton, that listen to this show who are involved in tribal health programs. They are tribal health leaders, tribal council people. And I think one of the logical questions is, okay, you have all the infrastructure there. You have the team. But how do the dots get connected? In other words, if I'm a physician working in your clinic, I have that discussion with someone. You know, their diabetes is not well controlled or they're just diagnosed with diabetes. And they're saying, you know, do I have to go on medication and I'm talking with them about lifestyle. Do I physically have to make a referral for them to see one of those life coaches? Or is there some system processes where you're saying, okay, newly diagnosed diabetes, um, you know, we have the life coach coordinator call them. Do you see what I'm asking? Yes, absolutely. So we have our um, EHR system, our electronic health record. Mm-hmm. We have built into the documentation, um, a tab where all of our consults are for our referrals. So when our medical providers are documenting, they can just go to that consult tab and select what referrals they want. Mm -hmm. So our dietitians have um, nutritional care referrals. Our life coaches have life coach referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do ongoing education. Our providers and our nurses both have monthly staff meetings. Okay. And so I bring my public health staff to those meetings to just kind of, we cycle people through so mm-hmm. that way we can, they can put a name with a face. They Good. know who they're sending their patients to, what they're sending them to them for. And I think, uh, with, with our medical providers, they want, to see those outcomes. They want to make a difference. That's Mm -hmm. why they put themselves through years of medical training. Right. And the easier we can make it for them to 
access those tertiary kind of wraparound services, um, the more likely they will be to remember them and to recommend them for their patients. Excellent. So it definitely is a provider-driven process. I would say it's a patient-driven, provider-implemented process because, okay, okay. because it's really um, it's really important to know what our patient's what their goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, when we sit down with them, we're asking them to change beliefs and behaviors. What do they want to get out of this? Mm-hmm. What What is their goal? Because if the doctor's goal is to get their A1C level down, but maybe the patient's goal is to not have to do insulin injections anymore. They want to stop having to stick themselves and they would mm-hmm. like to just take an oral medication. That behavior change, lifestyle change to get them off of the insulin will probably also bring their A1C down. Mm-hmm. But... Um, we can frame our process in a way that the patient feels like we're listening, that they're heard, mm-hmm. that their goal is understood and important. No, very important stuff. You're doing great work. I'm, uh, I'm inspired by what you folks are doing there at the well, uh, Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. One more time, if someone says, boy, I'd like to just kind of tap into resources. I've heard you've got a pretty good website. Is that true? Yes, we just updated our website. It's very accessible. Um, our programs, we even have online application forms. So our after-school programs, our camps, um, we have online applications for those now as well. Good. And the website again? It's um, okcic.com, so Oklahoma City Indian Clinic, okcic.com. Great. Thanks so much, Ashton. I know there's a lot more traffic picking up and people are gravitating to your booth as well. You're probably feeling drawn over there. So we're going to step away just for another couple of minutes. I've got another great guest who will wind up the show. You don't want to miss that. Dr. David DeRose here at the National Tribal Health Conference. Stay tuned for more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. 
I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living for our final segment of today's installment of the show. We just had the privilege of speaking with someone who really has uh, found her kind of path through the educational system and through career options. We heard from Ashton Gatewood, who's now the Director of Public Health at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. And for some of you tuning in, whether you are a young person, maybe a young adult, wondering about career options, maybe you're a tribal elder, maybe a grandparent, wondering about options for some of your children or your grandchildren, we have um, more on this story, but from a different vantage point. I've got Danae Yellow Kidney sitting next to me. Danae, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, I was just fascinated to learn about your story, Danae, because I understand this is like your first major public health conference. Is that true? That is correct. It was my first time uh, leaving state for such a huge conference. Okay. Great opportunity. So your Blackfeet home is in Montana. Yes. And we're here in Oklahoma at the National Tribal Health Conference. What's your reaction to what's been happening here? This is such a huge conference. This is nothing like I've experienced before. It's great to have so many options to go see so many different speakers from around everywhere. Uh huh. It's amazing. No, it's we're uh, we're enjoying the opportunity to rub shoulders with a lot of great folks. And the natural question is, well, how did you get in this relatively unusual setting for you? Well, crazy story how I got into this situation. Um, like I said, I'm from the Blackfeet tribe in Browning, Montana. Originally, I had not chosen a path in healthcare. Okay. Originally, I was interested in water quality hmm. and was going to follow through with that. Okay. And as I continued on and did camps and lots of outreach programs with our environmental office, I realized I could take it a step further hmm. into healthcare. Wow. So basically, your interest started with kind of environmental health concerns and the you know health of your tribe, your people. Yes. And you said, I can make a bigger impact, perhaps, having some clinical skills as well. Am I filling in the dots correctly? Yes, that is very correct. So what kind of educational background do you have at this point in the story? So as of right now, my educational background is I graduated from Browning High School in May of 2015. Mm -hmm. I continued on, and I started out at my community college, Blackfeet Community College in Browning, Montana. Okay. Great start. Uh I got my prerequisites for health science started. Excellent. And I actually added on math and science. So health science and math and science is great, great school, and I'm ready to continue on. Well, that's a great background, and I understand that some doors have been opening for you with, is it Indian Health Service that you'll be working for? Oh, yes. I'm very, very thankful and blessed to be starting at Indian Health Service in Browning, Montana. I got my foot in the door for health care. Uh-huh. And from there, I want to continue up the ladder in the health care. Very good. So you'll be working for IHS in what capacity? So I'll be a medical support assistant. I'm starting out in the ER, uh-huh. and I will be working 
the triage desk and behind in the ER. Okay, so a medical support assistant. If someone's trying to conceptualize that, it sounds like you're describing some kind of receptionist type work initially. So it'll be a initially receptionist type mm -hmm. work for most of my shift, and then part of my work will be in the back, possibly okay. shadowing other nurses. Oh wow! So, so great. they're they're not just bringing you in for a job; they're also kind of grooming you yeah. for future career. So options. this is a full time job, and it is really helping me gain my interest in healthcare. It's really setting the, the platform for where I want to further my education in and then what classes and everything else I need to take to complete my goal. Good. Now, Ashton, when she was sharing with us, she was speaking some uh, kind of a, I wouldn't say similar journey, but in some respects there's some parallels. She wasn't thinking of a nursing career either, as, as I heard her describe her story and then ended up going into nursing. When we speak about healthcare, clinical fields, is nursing an option? Medicine? What have you been thinking about? Nursing is definitely quite an option. Um, I would like to further my nursing and actually specialize in pediatrics. Okay. So that would be a great thing for me to do. Um, something to continue on to help our youth. Our youth mm -hmm. is our future, and that is something we need to invest in. I think that's tremendous. We had a guest earlier in this venue a uh, Native woman who is sharing her great burden for youth. And still, in spite of all the great things happening in this show, we've talked, for example, about some of the great work that is happening right here in Oklahoma as far as health education in the form of camps for kids, training kids on healthy lifestyle habits when they're just 6, 8, 10 years of age. See, that's what we need to invest in, is start early so that they know that there are these options out there mm -hmm. that... We do care about our future, and if we were to have these camps and these outreach programs, it would implant a curiosity in their minds to say, maybe I can do healthcare mm -hmm. or science or math mm -hmm. to help our community. I can see you're a woman with vision. Thank you. You're a young lady. You're looking at the landscape as far as healthcare careers. Talk to some... Of your peers. So there's people who listen to this show who are at the same stage in life as you are. They've got some education behind them, maybe high school, some college like you, and they're trying to sort through things. Is this a place, uh, a national meeting? Is that a good place to show up or is it going to be a bit much for some people? Actually, I think this conference is a great place to start. Hmm. You have so many options. You have so many conferences to attend and they can cater to your interests. You find a conference with your interests and you go and you absorb all that information. You can take it, that information back to your community. No, I think that's a great observation. One of the things I've enjoyed over the years, even as a physician, is sometimes going to health lectures at maybe a big conference that are over my head. Maybe they're all the experts uh, talking about the latest uh, advances in the biochemistry of obesity. And when I sit in there, maybe 90% of the stuff is beyond me. And yet when you're in that environment, it challenges you. You hear some new things. You interface with people. And it really just expands your horizons, doesn't it? It really does. I think challenges are what make us who we are, overcoming them. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Danae. We've been doing a lot of uh, programming here in this venue. One of the shows we did was on resilience. And we talked about this very concept that many times the things that come at us that we might say were negative 
actually are things, if we take it in stride, it can build our capacity, can help us be more resilient. Exactly. Danae, I look around. There's a lot of people from all over the country, lower 48, Alaska, people doing amazing things in Indian country. As you look at what's happening, does it inspire you with opportunities for you to be involved? Or is there also that kind of fear like, boy, I could never do this? So I look around, I see so many faces of people who have seen and did so many different things that I can not possibly imagine. And they can share their experiences with me. Mm-hmm. And it's almost empowering to see people from other Indian countries so successful and so high up in the healthcare fields. Uh-huh. It's like, I can do it too. I appreciate that because you're right. There's two ways we can look at other people's success. We can feel threatened. We could say, oh, they've got all this education. I could never get it. It is intimidating seeing mm-hmm. so many educated Indians. <laughs> it is. But at the same time, it's inspiring, right? Yep. Because you're saying, hey, these people one day were just like me. Right. right? They were high school students too. And, we all uh, start somewhere. That's right. And so I just really appreciate not only your enthusiasm, but your willingness to step out of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. This was a big <laughs> step out of my comfort zone. Um, I've never left the state for a conference before. So Wow. And you great. flew here alone? I flew everything? here alone. And this is such a beautiful experience to be in Oklahoma City uh-huh. and to just be here to absorb everything. That is so great, Danae. So I hope, as you've been listening today, those of you tuning into American Indian Living are hearing the voice of people throughout Indian country who are saying you can make a difference, whether they're active in a full-time career in that area, whether they're about to walk into a full-time job that is to be kind of a a stepping stone to, to many other things down the road. There's just a lot of opportunities to get involved. Danae, as we wind up, I know there's some folks out there who maybe feel that they would like to be doing just what you're doing, but they haven't done very well in school. They're academically challenged. Do you have any words of encouragement for someone like that? So to anybody out there that wants to do something like this, just step out of your comfort zone. Hmm. Tell them that your interest overcomes your academic records, that Uh you want this more than anything. Leaving your reservation will help your reservation when you come back. Leave, learn, come back and help. Wow. I love that picture. So don't let anyone define you by maybe some mistakes or some Everybody uh, makes lack mistakes. of talents, right, that you have maybe in a certain discipline. You're right. A lot of people say the people that are the most successful are the ones that really have the passion, put their energies into it. Maybe they don't have all the same gifts that someone else does, but people that work hard, put their nose to the grindstone. Yes. They uh, typically get ahead, don't they? Yes, they do. Danae, thank you for being that kind of person. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on American Indian Living. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a great opportunity. We have to step away. It is time to say goodbye. For all of us at American Indian Living, I hope today has encouraged you, given you more perspectives on what you can do in your own backyard to make a difference. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.